Hi, welcome to the Macabre Emporium. Let me get my emotional support cat. Okay. <laughs> to be quiet and keep the kids quiet, since he was getting anxiety and he didn't want to kill children. Gertrude's daughter even got to join in on what they considered fun. Tell us about the giant turtle. Alan never showed up, nor was he ever heard from again beyond that point. Welcome back to Macabre Emporium. We are now on episode 14. Yes, episode 14, and if this is your first episode since you don't like to start at the beginning, welcome. So have we done anything fun lately? Um, other than watch the premiere of the, the Last of Us. Yeah, that was pretty good. I want to give a special thank you to Noodle. You know why. I don't need to broadcast it. <laughs> but that was awesome. Yeah. So, what did you think of The Last of Us premiere? I thought it was pretty good, actually. I never played the games, but I just wanted to watch it because Pascal something... Pedro Pascal. Yeah, I don't know why I wanted to say Pascal's his first name. It's Pedro. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the Mandalorian (laughs) is in it. The the kick-ass guy from Game of Thrones. Right. I, like I was telling you earlier before we started watching, I would like to see him play of some kind of role as a witch or two. I think he'd do really good with that. Because there's like four different schools, if I remember correctly, that so they could basically make a storyline for him out of one of them. He'd more likely probably be out of the school of the cat. Uh-huh. Or another one out of the school of the wolf. So, huh. maybe... Maybe if, you know, Netflix doesn't cancel after it bombs after season four since Henry Cavill will no longer be in it. Yeah. You know, we'll see. Who did they get to replace him? Liam Hensworth, I think, or his brother. I don't remember. Kind of disappointed me that they switched him out because they were starting into the Wild Hunt, which is now where the third game takes place. And that was the one you just recently kind of finished playing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I was excited to see all of that come up with in The Witcher, and then it's like, sorry guys, I'm out. But I get why he did it, because they didn't want to listen to him and his fandom with it. Yeah, like, he is a huge Witcher fanboy, I guess you could say. Fanboy. From what I understand, he would actually take the costume home and wear it. Oh my god. To get it, like, to make it look like it was more worn and things like that. You know that motherfucker was LARPing in his backyard. Oh, I'm not really surprised. <laughs> Toss a coin to you. Whipper, <laughs> <laughs> or your sweeper, you mean? Maybe I well, I was talking about the the whipper guy, but um, yeah, yeah, Jack's the whipper. Yep, that one. Yeah. But also to your sweeper, and shame on you if you don't understand where that came from. Yeah, if you don't understand where that is, you need to go back and listen two episodes ago for a Victorian episode. Burn, because I'm sure the image that I released in the Facebook group probably confused you if you hadn't listened to it yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I had to get that out because it was like stuck in my head, even though it's a terrible Photoshop job. But I, but you was, were so excited about doing that because you were like, look at what I just sent you on Facebook. <laughs> look at it. <laughs> All right. So what do you before we get into that? I just want to apologize. I'm getting over some weird like allergy rhinitis type of shit. So if you hear me clearing my throat and David can't edit it out, that sucks. But just throwing it out there. Yeah. I apologize in advance. Yeah, but if they've been around with us long enough, they know we're not a professional podcast and I can't cut out every outside sound that we get. Right. But it'll probably be more so in this one. Maybe. Hopefully not. 
So what is it you're going to be talking about this week, Sarah? I am going to be talking about a urban legend, kind of urban legend, because there is truth behind it, um, out of Fairfax County in Virginia. Okay. Yeah. It'll be very bouncy. You'll like it. Very bouncy? Yeah. Okay. It's going to hop right into your heart. And mine's kind of an urban legend, but there was actually proof of this, and it was actually covered... It wasn't really covered. It was like the base inspiration for an episode of American Horror Stories. I remember. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I remember you saying something about it. Yes. So, with that said. As with most urban legends, where there is a story, there is at least a shred of truth. This statement alone is what makes the urban legend of the Bunny Man out of Fairfax County in Virginia downright creepy. It started with what Fairfax County archivist Brian Conley said. A creepy guy on Halloween, dressed oddly, throwing hatchets at people. It's just too bizarre to possibly be true, but it is. Yeah, it's a bit much. (laughs) For over four decades, the Bunny Man legend captivated the northern part of Virginia. Conley would first hear this tale when he was a young boy in the 1970s. It had popped up in 1973 in an undergrad paper at the University of Maryland. It was told and retold by numerous teens for many years. It was said you could call him out like you would Bloody Mary, or the Candy Man, candy man or Beetlejuice, yeah. you know, by saying its name three times. Right. Over time, like a game of telephone, the legend would shift and pieces would change. But no matter how much it evolved... It always seemed to follow, like, these general lines. In the early 20th century, there was a asylum for the insane out in the deepest part of the woods. At some point, the asylum would close and the residents were loaded onto a bus and sent to Lorton Prison. While en route, the bus would swerve and crash. Most of the convicts on board escaped but wound up being caught again. All but one. Douglas Griffin. As the authorities searched for him, they stumbled upon a half-eaten and disemboweled group of bunnies, many of which were found hanging from the Fairfax Station Bridge, which would later be called Bunny Man Bridge. Okay. The search continued for months, but Griffin was never found. However, on Halloween night, numerous teens were hanging out beneath the bridge. As the clock struck midnight, they were attacked. The next morning, they were found hanging and disemboweled, just like the bunnies, from the bridge. To this day, locals tell the story that if you're at Bunny Man Bridge at midnight on Halloween, then you two will meet the same fate as the bunnies and the group of teens. Like, I'm kind of like imagining the bunny from Five Nights at Freddy's at this point for some reason. (laughs) Do you get why I said it's very bouncy? It'll it'll hop into your heart. Yeah. Energizer Bunny's gone mad. (laughs) He's pissed. His his battery is on low. (laughs) Now, remember me saying at the beginning of this that most urban legends, um, with their stories, there's usually a shred of truth. Right. Okay, so we just heard the story, the tale, the legend. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to hear truth. Okay. The legend is a lot more gruesome, but the truth is just as bizarre as, you know, the legend is. And of course, it has to be twisted to make it more interesting. It's like, I caught a fish this big, and it ends up being like three feet longer than it really was. <laughs> the Washington Post reported that Robert Bennett, an Air Force Academy cadet, 
and his fiance were sitting in a car in Fairfax near his uncle's house around midnight on October 18th of 1970. He said, a man dressed in a white suit with long bunny ears appeared. He said whoever was in the costume yelled at him and his fiance about being on private property and that he had their tag number. I'm mm. assuming by tag number they meant like license, license plate. plate. Yeah, that would be my guess as well, too, because <clears> that's the only thing I can refer- think of that would be a tag number other than like livestock cattle tags. But yeah. I doubt that's it. <laughs> he then proceeded to throw a wood handled hatchet through their windshield. Thankfully, neither Robert or his fiance were were harmed at right. all. Another article from the Washington Post would state that the bunny man would show up again about two weeks later. On October 31st. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, who would have thought? <laughs> and he would be seen about a block away from where uh, he confronted the couple that I just spoke about. Okay. Paul Phillips uh, was a private security guard. He was the one to actually spot the bunny man holding an axe on the front porch of an unoccupied, like, brand new house. Okay. Ralphie's gone mad. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. When I was doing the research on this, mm-hmm. I was actually thinking of, like, the bunny thing from uh, Donnie Darko. Have you ever seen Donnie Darko? I, like, have one time before, a long time ago. Like, I don't really remember a whole lot of it. From start to finish? Yes. But okay. I don't really remember a whole lot of it. It's been a while since I've seen it, too. We should try and find it somewhere and um, watch it. I'm sure it's probably available on TV or something somewhere. Probably. I would assume, anyways. Okay. But, um... In the article, Phillips retold what happened, stating, I started talking to him, and that's when he started chopping. He took several swings at a pole on the porch and then threatened me, saying, All you people trespass around here. If you don't get out of here, I'm going to bust you in the head. You're not going to shoot their eyes out? No. No. (laughs) We'll leave that to Ralphie. Fairfax County archivist Brian Conley was determined to make sense of it all, so he continued digging into it. He tracked down investigation reports from both the Fairfax County Police and was able to confirm that they were looking for a male in his late teens, possibly early 20s, dressed as a bunny. I don't know how they came about getting an age on this person being, you know, in costume. Right. But anyways. Probably because of height, possibly body structure could be. Maybe. He said after a very extensive investigation into this and all the other cases of the same nature, it is still unsubstantiated as to whether or not there really is a white rabbit. Therefore, the police moved the case to inactive. Until... (laughs) (laughs) Brian Conley also found the now-married couple that um, had the hatchet tossed through their windshield. Mm Mm-hmm. They didn't seem very keen on talking about the 45-year-old incident, but they remained sincere in the fact that this run-in actually did happen. They were able to share extremely vivid details. The aunt of the woman um, was also able to give details since she's the one that helped them out after the accident. Right. Or incident, rather, not accident. She told Conley that she remembered combing glass shards out of her niece's hair. From the windshield that got busted. Yeah, but I mean, like, would you want to talk about having a hatchet thrown at you and you're trying to make out under a bridge or something? By a bunny? Yeah, by a giant man-sized nah. bunny. <laughs> I fucking wouldn't no. want to. <laughs> hey, like, who would believe that shit? Right? Grandpa, tell us about when the bunny tried to kill you and you're making out with Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> God. 
Oh, man. <clears throat> anyway. No one knows who the bunny man was or what motivated him. Conley is smart enough to know that any theory or story is pure speculation. However, he feels that it could be related to an elderly man that was known for being very angry. Um, he was actually the guy that owned the property that the couple were, parked on. were trespassing on. Um, though he, he died a year or so before the first instance of the bunny man. So that wouldn't really make sense right. unless his spirit came back and was like, shit, take me to party city so I can get a bunny suit. Maybe. But. But they better hurry yeah. up because I guess they're going out of business. I know. Also, with police stating the bunny man was in his early 20s in the 70s, he more than likely would still be alive today. But no one's come right. forward to, you know, admit to being the bunny man it's like yeah why would you admit to that now because now you're like oh hey we have an actual suspect we can charge for this cold case for the most part yeah as usual the telephone game and years of decades of changing the story of the bunny man has overtaken the truth of what actually happened there were no murders there was no insane asylum there wasn't even a bridge fairfax station bridge is seemingly just a local teen party area mm-hmm Although it is creepy looking if you look at it. Yeah. <laughs> it just happened to get incorporated into the story for effect, I guess. Surrounding towns have truly embraced the legend, and they sell t-shirts, and of course there's a haunted house attraction uh, inspired by the Bunny Man. But, you know, mm-hmm. anything to make that money. So there's no, like, Bunny Man Festival or anything like that? Nope. Like, Churbusco has Turtle Days? Nope. That's no Mothman Festival, no Bunny Man Festival, nothing, nothing like that. That would probably be an interesting type of horror movie to watch. Like, so like the Mothman Festival for the, or like the Turtle Days or whatever. Yeah. And like the cryptid actually is actually stalking around, actually killing people during this. Oh my God. Yeah. There, there is a movie out called The Bunny Man. I don't know if it's specifically this story, but it's very similar if you read like the the premise of it. Uh, A hatchet wielding bunny guy right going around you know chopping heads and right it's like oh great costume dan <laughs> Funk. <laughs> yeah but that's it that's the story oh, of the bunny man that's it yeah i told you it was short i know it was short well, i told you i didn't tell that oh, yeah i feel like i've heard that story before somewhere but I don't I've know. Listened, you may have i've listened to so many ghost stories and urban legends and cryptid stories that who knows maybe just Bits and pieces of it sounded familiar, and that's, like, in my head, like, I don't, I don't think this would count as a Mandela effect that, you know, like, I'm thinking I've heard this story, but I never actually did. Like Deja Vu? Yes, that's what I really mean. <laughs> I don't know, maybe I had Deja Vu of you telling me this story before. Ha <laughs> ha! Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Anyhow. What are you going to talk about? I'm going to talk about, after I fix my mic here, I'm going to talk about... I kind of had this planned out as kind of a thank you to Kevin Carlton and Kevin Heyer of Dark Windows Podcast Yay, for, Dark Windows. for the, uh, their help in their beginning days of everything. Yes. But I'm sure they've already heard this, tor- this story being from the New England area themselves. Well, they're going to hear it again. I'm sure they will. With the David spin. <laughs> with the David spin. Sorry, you ready to hear about the New England vampire panic, Sarah? I, I, I sure am. Hey. I sure am. Okay. I'll let me some vampires. 
ignorant, illiterate, unlettered, and uneducated. These are a few words you could use from the English language to describe people in the past because they didn't have scientific knowledge of what was happening into the world around them. From time to time, we hear people say, I sure do miss the good old days. It seems like people weren't as dumb then. When we learn about past events, they were a bit doltish. This might sound like I'm being a bit obtuse or thick-headed about this, but for a small period, the people of New England were foolish about what was killing people during an outbreak of tuberculosis. They believed that a staple of Halloween in countless movies was the cause of these deaths. After the Salem Witch Trials, a new panic struck New England. Not witches this time around, but vampires. <laughs> the vampire panic started in Europe in the 1730s and have some pretty bizarre ways to protect themselves from vampires and ways to find them. In parts of Russia and Hungary, a quote-unquote pure boy, assuming that they mean a virgin boy with their wording of this time period, would have to ride through a cemetery on a pure black horse until it balked, which is like rearing up acting okay. skittish. If I'm wrong, some horse expert probably will like criticize me but anyway did you say bucked balked balked okay i heard it a balk like a, chicken, like a <laughs> no, chicken it looks it's, like they balk okay it's a type <clears throat> of horse behavior okay probably like when you see a horse spooked in a horror movie that's probably what a horse being balked okay a horse bulking is but anyway when a horse did this they believed the vampire was nearby and it had to be destroyed Suspected graves of vampires would be weighted or bolted shut, and in extreme cases, in vampire extermination, they would exhume the corpse, dismember it, and burn the corpse. And oddly, they would also chop up the suspected vampire and boil the parts in wine. Ooh. No sources found that they drank the wine. Don't know what the whole wine process was, If even if it was like um, wine, sacramental wine that they would use in church for the um, show the body of Christ. Oh. I think that's what it's called, sacramental wine. But anyway. I don't know. Not sacrificial. No. <laughs> I don't know. Serbians would protect themselves from vampires by eating and rubbing their bodies with the dirt from the grave of the suspected vampires, and even the classic stake through the body to keep them pinned in the resting place to keep the vampire from free from feeding. And what I would find slightly cartoonish, they would actually dig up the coffins and flip them lid facing down. So when the vampires would actually rise from the grave, they would just continuously dig deeper down into the earth instead of rising again. God. In the late 19th century, a tuberculosis outbreak struck the New England area. Tuberculosis was also known as consumption because it would appear as if the body was quote-unquote being assumed with the appearance of being withered away from the symptoms of it. Before I continue with this vampire panic, it might be best to kind of go over TV quickly so we would have a better understanding of why they believe the vampires were the cause of this. Okay. So that it makes more sense of why they believed this was vampires because of the symptoms of that. Right. So TB is actually caused by a bacterial infection known as Mycobacterium tuberculosis which generally attacks the lungs and is spread by airborne droplets, usually with coughing. Mm -hmm. You release droplets in there when you cough. It's also known to attack the kidneys, the spine, and the brain. Tuberculosis isn't as contagious as the flu or the common cold is. You would have a higher probability of catching TB from a family member than you are a stranger. Oh, it's the fuckers that you're locked in the house with. Mm -hmm. 
Common signs of tuberculosis are coughing up blood, chest pains, coughing lasting more than three weeks, chills and fevers, no appetite, sweating at night, and weight loss. During the 19th century, tuberculosis was the cause of death in one out of four people. Today, over one million people still die from tuberculosis, according to the World Health Organization's website. Less than 200,000 cases are reported in the United States annually. Tuberculosis is treated with antimicrobials and given in four doses over six months. Now, with that out of the way, early New Englanders believed it was vampires who were killing off family members. I couldn't find a clear source on how they came to this conclusion of why. My guess is probably because of their appearance in the grave afterwards. Oh, could be. My best guess is to how they believed it to be vampires is the loss of appetite and weight loss would make someone appear as if they were withering away, and in turn it would make them think that the recently deceased from tuberculosis returning to feed on the, the next family member that became ill. So they really, really they, they really, they really aren't that bright. Weren't that bright? No, because they probably really didn't have a whole lot of understanding of tuberculosis at this time. There are multiple cases of the New England vampire panic, but I will focus on one of the most famous ones of 19-year-old Mercy Brown, as the majority of these cases is similar to hers and how they would stop their vampires. How old was she? She was 19 years old when this happened. Okay. Mercy Brown was the second oldest daughter of George and Mary Eliza Brown. George Brown was a respected farmer in Exeter, Rhode Island, where they resided. Mary Eliza would be the first of the family to die from tuberculosis in 1883, followed by Mary Olive, their oldest daughter, in 1884. In 1891, Mercy and her brother Edwin would both contract tuberculosis. Friends and neighbors of the Brown family gossiped that the Brown family had fallen victim to a vampire. Their neighbors tried to convince George to dig up his family members since they believed they were vampires, but George refused to believe this superstition. Uh-huh. Because, like I said, they already knew about the ways of stopping the vampire traveling over from Europe, so yeah. I didn't think I felt the need to have to repeat those again. When Edwin, the, the Mercy's brother, contracted TB, he would actually go to Colorado to attempt to treat his tuberculosis at a wellness center in Colorado Springs. Mercy passed from her illness of tuberculosis in January of 1892, and her brother Edwin would return the same month after his treatments in Colorado weren't having any improvements on his illness. Mm. In the time it took Edwin to receive the news of his sister Mercy passing and his return to Rhode Island, the town folks would say they saw Mercy walking in the fields in this, and in the cemetery after her death. Oh. This would fuel the vampire theory in their town, and Edwin would say that he would also see and feel Mary's presence of him sitting on his chest after his return from Colorado. Like he felt her sitting mm-hmm. on his chest? Damn. Yeah. George didn't want to see another family member die from the infected family members so he finally did give in to the beliefs of the vampires on march 17th 1892 oh no george no george don't do it (laughs) (laughs) even by this time doctors did have a clear understanding of what was causing tuberculosis unlike i said before that was before in earlier europe in times of tuberculosis they didn't Uh have the understanding of it right but the town of folks wanted reassurance about Mercy being a vampire or not. With the local doctor and the local news reporters and townspeople watching as their bodies were exhumed, 
The physician observed standard decomposition in the bodies of Mary Eliza and Mary Olive, but Mercy's body showed minimal decomposition. The physician, the physician, the doctor observed her. <laughs> 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 that definitely fucking saving that shit. <laughs> Maybe this will be the end clip because I uh, need a fucking filler. Oh, it, it reminds me of like the opening movie, I think, of like Hot Shots Part 2, where they're like typing out this whole assassination president, like who they're having person type out assassinate, can't spell it, and he's doing it backwards and backwards and just changes it to kill the president. It took me back to. Oh my god. Trying to hear Amy say the name of Rhonda and Tammy. They lived on Rural Street, okay? Mm -hmm. She's like, it's... It's desolate. (laughs) That's that's what that shit... I don't know, maybe I'll just leave this whole fucking section in the middle of here. Oh my god. Okay, let's try and... Okay. Now that we got that out, maybe I can say the fucking word. Try. The physician... Hey, there we go. Hey! Hey, all right. The physician observed her hair had grown out as long out and as long as her fingernails had as well. The physician so we're gonna try this one more time. Okay. The physician observed her hair had grown out as well as her fingernails. Then also that her cheeks were rosy and her body was not in the same position as she was buried. The physician discovered blood in her heart and her liver as the physician removed them to create this elixir for Edwin to drink after seeing Mercy in her current state, of which they believed was her being a vampire. Did they not understand what your body does after death? Apparently not at this time. Okay. And I was actually to get into that. People believe that consuming the ashes of the heart and liver mixed with water would put a stop to being preyed on by these vampires. Eww. Unfortunately, Edwin would finally succumb to tuberculosis in May of the same year. Now, so here are some things on what gives the appearance of vampires. The truth is her hair and her fingernails didn't grow after death. (gasps) What? Yeah, I know. So I'm sure you know this already. But after you pass away, your skin actually starts to shrink up and it creates the effect of new nail growth. Illusion. Mm Mm-hmm. And the skin and the skin of her gums would also start shrinking. So this would make your canine teeth have a much longer appearance, which is associated with vampires. Because, you know, vampires, that's the first thing you think of is the long teeth. Mm-hmm. And if depending on how far back you think of vampires, you start thinking of Nosferatu going up the yes. stairway. Or when he like he first appears on screen, yeah. you know, the most classic vampire of them all. What? Are you forgetting Bella Lugosi's vampire? Nosferatu predates Bella Lugosi. I know, Lugosi. but you said he's the most popular. <laughs> oh no, we might have a problem here in the middle of the fucking Emporium floor today. Oh, we might. <laughs> Anyhow, so they also, these townsfolk also didn't take in consideration the time of year that she's buried in this above ground crypt. Let me guess. 
winter. Yes. Like I say, <laughs> she died in January. Oh, yeah, that's true. You did. So the cold weather would actually slow decomposition being stored in this above ground crypt since the ground is frozen at the time of her death, obviously. So you're not digging. Yeah. You don't have the equipment to dig through solid dirt like we do today. Yeah. And with the rosy appearance in her face would be that when your blood is starting to decompose, it actually would create heat, which would make your cheeks look flush again. Oh. So usually when they would go to do these undigging of vampires mm-hmm. would be at night because that's when they're going to wake up, you know. Well, of course. Strike at dawn, basically, for the vampire. So, But we're yeah. doing it at night at Lantern. But... I'm going to read this as I originally wrote it, just because Kevin has actually called us weird in here in Indiana. But those weirdos in Vermont would actually make this more of a public display of this with a festive type atmosphere. In South Woodstock, Vermont, in the 1830s, the heart of alleged vampire Frederick Ransom would be burned on the town green. And hundreds would also flock to Manchester, Vermont, for a ceremonial type burning of another alleged vampire by the name of Rachel Burton, which her heart was burned in a blacksmith's forge. According to folk- the folklorist Michael Bell, that has actually documented over 80 vampire exhumations. Damn, really? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, one of these New England vampire graves was found in Connecticut during what law enforcement first believed to be the remains of be the remains of a serial killer victim's Michael Ross that was known also as the Eggman or the Roadside Strangler. Okay. I don't know if you've heard that name before. Yes, I have. Okay. Some children were playing near a hillside gravel mine where they had found these four graves, and one of the children had ran home to tell their mother, who didn't believe them at first until he produced a skull from one of the graves. Oh, shit. Mom (laughs) loved that, didn't she? (laughs) Oh, well, look what we found. We found Grace. I know you did it. Well, look what I got. Now, if you're the kind of mom that my sister, both of my sisters yeah. are, they'd be like, that's fucking sweet. Right. Let's do something with it. One be like, let's make it artsy. The other one would be like, fucking death. Let's keep it. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the police taped off the area quickly. Like I said, as they believe this was the work of Michael Ross or the Eggman. But the browning of the bones actually proved that these bones were much older much older a state archaeologist determined that they were actually a colonial era farm cemetery that things came from grave number four as it was documented was the grave in question of being a vampire because the bones were actually rearranged to assemble in, to resemble the jolly roger that you see on on uh, pirate flags okay and the ribs were crushed in from the archaeologist report they didn't give the name of said archaeologist they just okay. said where they, where they came from um, and to close this out, I had mentioned this previously before. I completely forgot about the story until we were watching American Horror Stories. Yeah. And the episode, the, the episode Milkmaids came on. And some of the similarities between that and this triggered in my head. Yeah. It's been out long enough. If you find it as a spoiler, that's on you. If you haven't watched it yet, you've had more than enough time. Yeah. True that. The episode of American Horror Stories Milkmaid, as I just mentioned, is very similar to the Vampire Panic of New England as well. In this episode, there is an outbreak of smallpox instead of tuberculosis. And the pastor of the town that the main character lives in, he heard from a neighboring town that there was reports of the dead rising from the grave and feasting on living on living family members. Lovely. And unlike the actual vampire panic where they would make this elixir from burning the heart and the liver using the ashes and mixing it in water, uh-huh. they would actually eat the heart's 
of the dead to protect themselves from the disease. Ooh. In reality, they're actually giving themselves the disease. That, well, like we've already said that right. they weren't smart. So. <laughs> right. And then remember, you know, the one milkmaid tried to stop people from doing it, but they yes. didn't want to hear because she's just a milkmaid. She's like lower than dirt, basically. Yeah. Um, after, apparently smarter than them. Yeah. But after the pastor and the main character perform this ritual of sorts, the main character points out to the pastor that the townspeople might suspect them of witchcraft for their newfound health, and they should tell them what they have done as well. Okay. So that's where they, the rest of the townsfolk starts go digging up their family members and doing the same of the sorts that's, as well, too. That's really gross. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's still a thing, but thankfully with modern science and medicine that we don't have to resort to folklore ways of taking care of weird mm-hmm. diseases. Weird diseases and stuff like that, but you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess this, I know I've mentioned it before in other episodes, how people are like saying, oh, it was so much better in the past. Clearly, this is one of those cases that was not. And so maybe also with our Victorian episode as well, with some of the jobs that I covered in that, you know. What was your favorite job from that episode? From that one? Uh, I still wouldn't want to be a pure finder. Oh, hell no. Uh, I'd say probably a crossing sweeper would probably be <clears throat> the best option out of it, even though some of the drawings from the time, you would they'd see like hundreds of them, like not hundreds of them, but tens of crossing sweepers so you know huge competitive market with it but i'd never say that was probably my favorite one too but probably because you sang no toss a coin to your sweeper oh victorian wealthy anyway the first rendition was way better than that one (laughs) they're both great (laughs) i don't know maybe i'll have to cut that into the intro again now yep and so anyhow this is going to be a very short one. Yeah. You're reminiscent of episode one. Yep. Well, it so, is what it is. I mean. Won't have much to edit. Well, you were sick, so I didn't want to pressure yeah. you too much into doing research and yeah. all that stuff. So thankfully we had these old scripts that we kind of yeah. mothballed for staying consistent for everybody. Yeah. You're welcome, people. Yeah. Yeah, people so of the Emporium. Can't really call them patrons because of nope. there's Patreon. What would they be? I don't know. Should we name our people? I don't know. Maybe we should now that we got Ooh. 14 episodes. <clears throat> or... Maybe we'll have to put a poll on the Facebook group. Yeah. And if gonna... you want to suggest your what you would like to be called, you can add it. And if mm-hmm. you want to vote, well, you'll have to go to the Facebook page. No, that's Facebook page. It's Facebook group. Well, yes, the Facebook group. <laughs> So I don't know. With that said, maybe it's time we close the Emporium up for today. I agree. And so until next time. Remember to creep it real. Our website is live. Make sure you check it out at macabreemporiumpodcast.com. Join our Facebook group and follow us on Twitter at Macabre Emporium. Like and subscribe to us on YouTube at Macabre Emporium Podcast. And if you have any stories of paranormal true crime whether it be local or a story you you know you may have heard, weird history you want us to look into and possibly do an episode on or include within an episode, email us at macabemporiumpod at gmail.com. 
And remember to follow, rate, review, and share wherever and whenever you can and help us grow our little baby podcast. These are a few words you could use from These are a few words you could use from many what the fuck did I write? <laughs> Apparently I'm one of those first four fucking words. These are a few words you could use from <coughs> No, cuz I forgot to put the fucking words English language in there. <laughs>